things that I wanted to mention. Pray for our Supreme Court. You know, when things begin to look good for the kingdom of God, for spiritual things, the devil's always got an answer. And I read this weekend where Planned Parenthood, which is the number one child murderer of our nation and the world, really. Planned Parenthood announced a $275 million historic donation from Mackenzie Scott who is the wife of the founder of Amazon. $275 million donation. And if you equate that to the fact that an abortion costs about $600, it takes about $600 to murder a child, then that equates to 458,000 murdered babies. 458,000 abortions. That's what $275 million equates to. That may be one of the most glaring examples of evil in our time. That's amazing, isn't it? So anytime there's some ground being made for God's glory, the devil's always there by doing something like that right there, encouraging something like that right there. And who knows, that person may be an absolutely deceived child of God. I mean, who knows? There's been children of God, many of which were deceived. But please pray for our Supreme Court. It would be a glorious blessing if they overturned the silly law that's not even in the Constitution of murdering children. So I wanted to mention that to you. If you would please pray for uh, our nation with things like that happening. If you would turn in your Bibles to Acts, the 16th chapter. We're going to continue talking today from a couple weeks ago in our Lost Truth series. We've been looking at that for off and on for a, quite a while. We spent a great deal of time in the book of Ephesians talking about those lost doctrinal truths that Practically, you know, years ago, four out of five or three out of four churchgoers understood those terms, and you just don't even hear them today. So what we've been talking about is a lost truth of suffering for serving God. This is the second half of that sermon because we didn't have time to complete it a couple weeks ago. So this is the transforming power of suffering. And we're not talking about just any kind of suffering. We're not talking about suffering because you made a foolish decision. We're talking about the specific category of suffering for serving God, which the church of God has an incredible history in this area. And we thank God in many ways. Thank God that we don't, we're not, we haven't been exposed to this, but we're going to be. We're going to be. And I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, your lifetime, or there might be some young person under the sound of my voice that has to take a stand like what we read in the Word of God and the examples that I'm going to give you. And I want to remind you of the hymn that we sang. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe shall not thee overflow. For I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. That line in the hymn by George Keith from the 1700s speaks directly to the transforming power of suffering. 
the child of God's response to adversity, specific adversity that comes to you because you're serving the Lord. Now, we stopped off a couple weeks ago talking about Paul. We had looked at how Paul had left one city because they were going to stone him. (laughs) And he goes over to this other city, and what happens? He winds up getting stoned. (laughs) And thank God he didn't die by a miracle. The Lord, in a sense, you might say the Lord kept him alive because he was all but given up for dead. And he gets up and he goes on, never stops preaching. Don't ever forget that. So we look to Acts, the 16th chapter, as we see the Apostle Paul, just like Peter, just like James, just like John, just like the others who rejoiced and counted themselves uh, unworthy to suffer shame for the name of God. You remember whenever they were told, you must not preach and teach and live for this. They wouldn't even say his name. You remember? They couldn't even bring themselves to mention the name Jesus when they forbid them to preach. Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than man. When the laws of the land say you have to do something that's contrary to the word of God, then we must take up the mantra of Peter who said we must obey God rather than man. And in Acts the 16th chapter, we find the Apostle Paul going into the area where there was great revival. This is where he meets Lydia who was down by the riverside praying and worshiping on a particular day, and the Lord opened the door for him to share the truth of Jesus Christ with her. And so the Apostle Paul, there's a great work going on here. And just as we see somebody donating $275 million to the uh, child murderer, Planned Parenthood, Satan is always going to try to counteract the ground that is made in the kingdom of God. Always. You come and you join the church and then Satan's going to come after you. He's going to send some kind of thorn in the flesh or some kind of direct opposition. It's the way it always works to discourage you and and make you just want to give up serving the Lord. So here the Apostle Paul is going around preaching the Word of God. And we read in Acts 16, and let's look at verse 16. As they went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. This woman was a slave. And she had masters, and they, they controlled what she did, and she was a soothsayer. She was a demonically possessed person. She would be like a card reader. Or, you know, you go down the road and you see some signs, you know, where it says, Madam so-and-so, you know, come in here and have your palm read. That's what this is. That's what this lady is, except she is in a much higher degree of possession of d- demonic forces than just what you see going down the, the road, as far as I know now. So... Here this woman begins to follow them and cry out. And I've used the funny voice before. Y'all want me to do it again? Okay, I will. (laughs) This woman was following them and they're trying to preach. They're trying to teach. They're trying to interact with people, tell them about Jesus Christ. And all the while, outside the door or walking down the street, these men are the servants of the Most High God. You know, ugly. I sound funny when I say it, but she was being ugly, bringing all this attention to them. Look at what she said. These men are the servants of the Most High God. Like, ha, ha, ha. Which show unto us the way of salvation. (laughs) Now, I'm going to tell you, I believe this woman was a child of God, possessed by the devil in this specific time here where the devil was on the move in a mighty way. I believe when the Apostle Paul cast this, you see how she says that shows us the way of salvation? You see that? I believe this woman, this slave woman, was a child of God. Now, that's just my personal belief. But we see that Paul turns and he casts out this demon from this woman. He's grieved because this happens day after day after day, just pestering him and pestering him and bringing all this unwanted attention to them. And so Paul knows what's going to happen. But he finally is grieved enough. He casts out this demon. 
from this woman and the masters of this woman realize that the hope of their gain is gone, you want to start stirring people up, start getting into their pocketbook. It was a few weeks ago when the war in Ukraine started and our current president was on there talking about that. And it was notable to me that the first few things that he referenced in, that, in what he said was about gas prices going up, which, which I don't like that, do you? <laughs> but that's the first thing that he began to talk about was the gas prices going up. Not Valentin or Slavic or one of the other brothers or sisters in the Ukraine who are being murdered and killed because of the tyranny of this man from Russia. You see, whether you realize it or not, that's what most people care about is their pocketbook. Never let that be the case for the child of God. I mean, it's okay to save money and it's okay to be, pay your bills and be conscious. You don't go away and say, well, I quit paying my mortgage because Brother Tim said I don't need to be worried about my finances. That's silly. You don't understand what I'm saying. That's all their focus was. And when they realized the hope of their gain was gone, they were angry. This poor little slave girl, no telling what she had been through, she had brought lots of money to her masters by her soothsaying, by her witchery, by her witchcraft. And when it was gone, they, without going and filing a lawsuit, without going through the proper channels, they just took Paul and Silas and they stirred up a crowd, stripped their shirts off, and began to beat them publicly in the courthouse square. <laughs> and by the way, side note, Paul's a Roman citizen. He's not only a Jewish man, he's also a Roman citizen, which means his rights are being violated. So you know what happens here? They're not even really arrested at first. They're just beaten, and because they are presumed guilty, <laughs> they are put into jail, and the jailer's told to lock them down. Put them under lock and key. Isolation, just the two of them. And they were in the stocks, which would have been very painful. Very painful. Legs suspended above the ground. Arms suspended above the ground in the stocks. And this is not a good situation. So what happens? It says in the book of Acts, the 16th chapter, verse 25. What would have been on your mind? What would have been on my mind? I would have been thinking, I'm going to call my lawyer. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I am a lawyer. <laughs> Maybe I can file it for myself. <laughs> well, what was on Paul and Silas's mind? At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. You see that? And not only that, as it goes, the Lord sent an earthquake, and I know some of you are saying, well, if I could be guaranteed the Lord would send an earthquake and get me out of jail if I'm arrested for serving God. That's not the point. <laughs> You're missing the point. Whether He does or whether He doesn't, that's the point, is to serve Him. See? And so the jail begins to shake and all the doors are open. And there's murderers in there. There's all types of robbers, thieves. Nobody left. All of the doors were open. Paul and Silas' bands come off. Their stocks come off. And they begin to look around. And here comes the jailer. And he sees that what has happened and he knows that his family's life is on the line because it's not like today where somebody escapes jail and maybe they get fired. You know, the guard gets fired. His family's most likely going to be put in a debtor's prison or at worst, put to death. You remember? This happened, remember? You remember whenever they came back and found one of the apostles was, had been let out of jail by the angel? What did the king do? He put the guards to death. This is serious matter. And so the jailer comes in, pulls out his sword, and he's going to thrust himself down on his sword and kill himself. This is a suicidal man. Don't tell me the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not powerful in the lives of God's children. 
And the Apostle Paul says, do thyself no harm. We're all here. And that's whenever the jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, don't ever forget, and we're not going to rabbit trail this, but that save right there is nowhere even close to talking about going to heaven. He's talking about being delivered from suicide, being, having his family delivered from being put to death. He's talking about a timely temporal deliverance that has to do with the preaching of the gospel. And only the child of God, born of the Spirit, saved and on the way to heaven, that's the only person who will have any meaning to. It has no meaning to the reprobate. It has no meaning to the one who's not a child of God. Now, can we go and say who that is? No, we don't know who God's children are. So we preach to everybody. The Apostle Paul didn't know that the man that took the key and took the stocks and slammed them down on his wrist and down on his ankles, he had no idea that that was a born-again child of God. And yet later in the night, when this man comes in suicidal, the, the Apostle Paul sees this man's a child of God. And you want to know how he was saved? He was saved just like the Watkins family was saved here this morning as they went under the waters of baptism as a profession of their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Saved the way that Brother Ethan was saved last week. It's not an eternal salvation it's a timely deliverance you see and many others that we can name who have experienced that incredible powerful dynamic deliverance when you believe the truth of the gospel only a born-again child of God can do that that's Baptist historical theology now listen Paul goes home to that man's house who put him in the stocks well that's a quick way of becoming friends with your enemies isn't it (laughs) That's what the Lord can do. Paul goes home and he goes home with that man and he baptizes that man's whole house. That is house salvation. That's what 1 Peter 3.18 says where it says the like figure baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Not you being cleansing yourself of your sins, but your profession that Christ has cleansed you of your sins. That, That jailer went home and experienced that. Oh, how many of God's children need to experience that type of deliverance? You know why that's so important? Because it points to the deliverer. You have been delivered. Your sins have been paid for. What a glorious truth. And this jailer experienced it. Now, I'm giving you that scenario because that's what happened with Paul in the midst of... Listen, if he hadn't been arrested, if he hadn't cast out the demon, which was a good thing, and if he hadn't been arrested and beaten and all those things and thrown into jail, this never would have happened. If Paul had just said... I'm so tired of this woman. I know a lot of good things are going on here in this area, but this woman is, is so, something bad is probably going to happen if, if we hang around this town much longer and this woman continues to say, these are the servants of the Most High God. Aren't you glad that the Apostle Paul didn't say, I'm just going to kind of ease out of town. Aren't you glad he didn't do that? He preached the gospel. He suffered the consequences for it. And the Lord sanctified to him his deepest distress. Are you with me? That's the hymn that we sang. The Lord will sanctify to you your deepest distress if you've got your eyes on him and you're trusting in him and you understand the transforming power of suffering for serving God. There's an old saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Let me give you a few examples, okay? You understand that the babes in Bethlehem that Herod killed trying to snuff out the seed of the woman. The babes in Bethlehem, two years old and under, that were murdered, those were martyrs. The blood of the saints is the seed of the church. You remember a fellow named John the Baptist? If anybody ever asks you why you're a Baptist, you tell them it's because John was a Baptist. (laughs) That's why you're a Baptist. 
A fellow named John the Baptist came preaching from the wilderness. He had a short, maybe six to eight month ministry. And we're still talking about him today. Remember what happened to him? He said, well, he never should have dabbled in politics, right? Well, you tell that to John when you see him in heaven. And he was under the direction of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he began to get involved in the politics of the day and preach the word of God to the politicians. And they cut his head off. <laughs> What about Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church who had one message that he brought to the public? <laughs> and what a message it was. Because at the end of that message, they hated him so bad, they picked up stones and they killed him. But you remember what happened when Stephen died? It says when he lifted up his eyes and rocks were hitting him in the head and in the body and injuring him and about to kill him, he looked up and he saw the Lord Jesus Christ standing up on the right hand of the Father waiting to receive him. I tell you, that's a special experience. You think Stephen went to heaven thinking, oh, I never should have opened my mouth. <laughs> I don't think so. What about James in the book of Acts? He was put to death by the sword. What about, about within a hundred years of the apostles, a fellow named Polycarp of Smyrna? By the way, you remember Smyrna? That's one of the seven churches of Asia. He came before the prefect who was requiring Roman citizens to burn incense to the gods and pay allegiance to Caesar as a god. Okay, And he would not do that. He would not do it. As he was brought before the court, he says this, I quote, How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. He said that right as they were starting the fire to burn him at the stake, and eventually they pierced him with a spear. And as he died, he said, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ. <laughs> a fellow named Justin Martyr, though the precise year of his death is not known, it can be dated by the, the term of the prefect that was in charge of, of the region at that time, which was about 162 A.D. And the martyrdom of Justin is preserved in court record of the trial. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that many years ago? And so the prefect, his name was Rusticus, and this is what he says. He says, approach and sacrifice all of you to the gods. And Justin Martyr says, no one in his right mind gives up piety for impiety. The prefect says, if you do not obey, you will be tortured without mercy. And Justin replied, that is our desire to be tortured for our Lord. Is this foreign to you and me? It's foreign to me. <laughs> I've never had that possibility come up. I'm not jumping in line wanting this to happen. You understand? But the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You're here today because of this right here, this type of confession. That is our desire to be tortured for our Lord Jesus Christ and so to be saved for that will give us salvation and firm confidence. And by salvation, he means we're going to die and we're going to be in heaven. So it will give us firm confidence at the more terrible universal tribunal of our Lord and Savior. He's talking about the judgment at the end of time. And all the martyrs said, do as you wish, for we are Christians and we do not sacrifice to idols. The prefect read the sentence. Those who do not wish to sacrifice to the gods and obey the emperor will be scourged and beheaded according to the laws. The holy martyrs glorifying God betook themselves to the customary place where they were beheaded and consummated their martyrdom confessing their Savior. You say, well, I just can't relate to that. Listen to me very carefully, okay? Let's relate this to today. The movement out there that is on the prowl every day on your phone, in your news, 
where it says you must condone and accept an alternative lifestyle or same-sex marriage, or you are against uh, women or women's health care if you support life in the form of not murdering babies. It's not acceptable for you to not agree with that. <laughs> are y'all with me? It is re- the devil and through the influence of the devil and people that promote that type of agenda, it's not good enough that you just keep quiet. You have to say, I agree with you. That's what they want. When the shows come on and the the homosexual person is on the show, which we don't hate homosexuals, but we hate the sin that they commit just like we hate adultery and we hate fornication and we hate lying and we hate stealing. You see, we don't hate the person, but we hate the sin. But when that show comes on, it it is preaching to you to get you to accept that. It's the same. They said... We're not good enough for you just going about your business and not having a position. You've either got to burn incense to the gods and say Caesar is God, or we're going to kill you. (laughs) Listen to me. The mentality of that is here today. It's just that not yet, not quite yet, does that side, does that position have the ability to enforce death on you yet. But they will. You mark my words, they will. That position of saying, you must accept this. You must burn incense to the gods of homosexuality. You must burn incense to the gods of same-sex marriage. You must burn incense. And the litany of things just goes on and on, see? They will not accept. Just leave me alone. Just let me go off and be by myself. You have to consent or say no. (laughs) And I pray to the good Lord that we continue to take the biblical position. That's That's the real position of love in the Word of God, that God hates sin, but He loves the sinner. (laughs) You see? It's the same thing. It's just they don't have the authority yet to enforce it physically. But it's coming. It's coming. You mark my words, it's coming. And remember, I told you the last time we talked about this. Relax, they're going to get me first. (laughs) What I just said is going out over the airwaves and people are going to hear it everywhere. They're going to get me first, so you don't worry about it. You'll be all right. You'll you'll come bail me out, as I said, and then they'll get you later. So this is the history of the church of God, taking a stand in joy for the Lord, even in spite of great opposition and great suffering. There's no better place to be than the church of God. (laughs) There are others that we can name. Perpetua, which we've talked about her. Felicity, Ptolemaeus, Lucius, Pothinus, the Bishop of Lyon. If you want to get more current, the Walden Seas in the Piedmont region of France who were brutally murdered. One of the historical accounts of the Walden Seas that stuck with me the most. And listen... This is the same thing as the Caesars. In those days, in the Dark Ages, if you didn't consent to the state church, then you were persecuted, or you were taxed, or you were put to death. So the Walden Seas lived in the Piedmont region, and they sent persecutors up there, inquisitors, to go up there. And the one that sticks with me the most in the history of the Walden Seas, which is your ancestors, by the way, your truth ancestors, is they cornered mothers and fathers and children in a cave up in the mountains and they couldn't get in there (laughs) they were defending themselves and they couldn't get in there enough to get them all so they just built a fire at the front of the cave and smoked them all and killed them all (laughs) that's your history aren't you glad that in the last few hundred years in america we hadn't had to experience things like that you need a little more recent one what about bloody mary Bloody Mary in England, who burned one Baptist preacher after another, after another, after another. Bloody Mary, when she was in power and the state was combined with the Church of England. You see? You don't ever want 
the church to be a part of the government. Because whoever's on top is going to persecute whoever's not. It's a historical fact. Bloody Mary burns, not just Baptists now, others too. She burned one after the other. You want something a little more recent? If you've never read the book Bonhoeffer about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it's a long book, but it is worth every page. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a preacher in the days of Nazi Germany. And you understand one of the ways that Nazi Germany got on top, one of the ways that Hitler got on top, is he made offers and deals with the church that was in that particular region of Germany. Now you understand this is the same place where Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis a few hundred years before that started the Reformation. This is the same country where that great Protestant revival occurred. You know, Baptists are not Protestants, but you remember that's where the great Protestant revival, just a few hundred years later, and here we are. You talk about the devil having an answer. You understand Nazi Germany was the devil's answer a few hundred years later to what Martin Luther did when the Reformation started. Am I crazy? <laughs> no, it's the truth. So what Hitler did is he made offers to the established church and, and got it even more entangled with the government. And you understand there were God's people in Germany. There's God's people over there today. But they didn't speak out. They didn't speak up. If the people of Germany, if the religious people of Germany had taken a stand and said, this man is wicked. We don't want him dictatorially telling us what to do. You think it would have gone? It might not have. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of those modern day martyrs who would not give in to the Nazi Third Reich. And he was eventually, he was a preacher, and he was eventually condemned to a concentration camp. And two weeks before the Allies got there, he perished in that concentration camp. Two weeks before the Allies liberated that concentration camp. And we all say, oh, man, you know, we got that Hollywood mindset of, you know, the good guys win in the end. Let me tell you something. The good guys did win in the end. I'm talking to you about Dietrich Bonhoeffer today, memorializing his memory of martyrdom. We remember him because of the stand that he took. You see? You want a good read, go read Bonhoeffer. Make sure you get the right biography, though. I'll be glad to tell you. I can't remember the guy's name, but I'll be glad to tell you afterward. You want one a little bit more recent times? There's a fellow named, I don't know how to say his name, but Sonar Tufan. He lives in Turkey, which, by the way, is where the Ephesian, the church at Ephesus was 18, 19, 2,000 years ago, 1,900 years ago. There's a fellow named Sonar Tufan who is the head of the Christian radio station in Turkey. Now, I've told you before, Turkey's about 2% Christian. And years ago, when Sonair became a Christian, whenever he began to follow Christ, it, it, it said that there were about 50 Christians in Turkey. That's just amazing. Today, there's about 7,000. This is the area where many of these churches were that held the truth. And Sonair tells about the struggles of trying to keep a Christian radio station going in a Muslim country. They've had death threats. I enjoyed one particular story that he told when he first became a Christian and they went to church one Sunday and they were all gathered there and his brother came and his brother had a knife and they were mad. His brother said to him before church, he said, I'm going to kill everybody here. All these Christians, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> I mean, it's not really funny, but this guy says, well, just wait till after worship. You know, wait till worship's over and then kill everybody, okay? I think that's funny, but... Because he didn't, he didn't. So the brother sits down with his knife and his jacket, going to kill everybody after worship is over. 
And at the end of worship, it says that he got up and he came down crying and said, God, forgive me. And he became a Christian and began to follow the Lord. (laughs) Aren't you glad in some ways that we don't have to experience stuff like that? Listen, the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. Back to 1 Peter. Let's look at 1 Peter 4 as we began to, you know, the theme of 1 Peter is about suffering. 1 Peter 4. I don't know if you remember last time we looked earlier in 1 Peter where the Lord through Peter tells us about the advantage and the glory that comes to God in suffering for serving the Lord. 1 Peter 4, we'll read in verse 12. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now wait a minute. You mean we can have joy in the midst of suffering? That's exactly the point. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. That word means supremely blessed. It doesn't mean that you're going around with a giddy, happy, you know, oh, I'm being persecuted. This is great. I'm hurting. Wonderful. That kind of sounds insane. But he's talking about consider yourself blessed, supremely blessed, if you're serving God in such a way that it's causing persecution to come at you. Remember? If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Now watch this. For the spirit of glory and of God rested upon you. Don't you want that? Don't you want the spirit of glory and of God to rest upon you? On their part, he is evil spoken of. And on your part, he is glorified. You see, these are two opposites right here. This is not God working to bring on this persecution. He doesn't have to. Satan takes care of that, you see? But here is here you are serving God, experiencing the spirit of glory resting upon you. And over here, somebody's saying, I can't stand him. Oh, look at him, goody two-shoes. Look at what he thinks he is. And, and going persecuting, maybe even in physical ways. It, that's the way it's been in the past. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. Don't suffer for killing somebody. Don't suffer as a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Well, that'd knock out about half of the drama on Facebook, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on his behalf for the time. Listen to this now. For the time. You say, why are you preaching this, Brother Tim? Nobody's got a knife fixing to kill us at the end of the worship service. Nobody's got a gun trained on us. right? Listen to what he says. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. You must hear these things. You must understand that your history is written in blood. It was written in the blood of Christ. My goodness. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin with us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? You see? Look at verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. That word commit right there is a very special word. This is the same word that occurs whenever you see Jesus over there hanging on the cross in the book of Luke and he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It's the same word, commit. He says, I'm giving my life over to my Father for safekeeping. And sometimes that's what you you have no other choice other to do that. And by the way, that's the best choice. He says, let them commit themselves When you face that persecution, when there's no recourse, seemingly, you always have recourse to a higher authority. It's the Lord. You see? 
Don't you know that that was going through James's mind whenever they took the sword and pierced him through and killed him? Lord, I commit myself into your hands. Don't you know that was going through Paul's mind when Jesus had told of Paul, he said, I must show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. As Paul was being stoned and rocks and were hitting him, he's thinking, I must commit myself to the one that judges righteously. It's the same thing that Christ did on the cross. So you're in good company, child of God. You see? The spirit of glory rests on you. The word rest right there is where we get our word promotion from. Now, I asked permission to tell this little story, but Brother Josh Coker, who's a dear friend of mine, he called me a few years ago and he was telling me, he said, you know, I needed more time in the ministry. I'm just, he works for Blue Cross Blue Shield. He said, I just need more time. I'm just, you know, I'm overwhelmed. I've got to kind of free myself. He said, so he put in to his boss for a demotion. A demotion, not a promotion. And I said, Brother Josh, I think you're the only person I've ever heard of that ever put in for a demotion. (laughs) He needed more time to serve God. And the funny thing is, they denied him. (laughs) He's such a good employee. They denied his demotion request that he got it a little while later. He applied again and got a demotion. How many of us are willing to ask for a demotion to have more time to serve the Lord? I tell you, that's a great attitude. That goes with the spirit of glory and of God resting upon you. You see? Now, let's hurry along as we conclude our thoughts here this morning. Look at verse 19 again. He says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Notice he says, commit their keeping in well-doing, not poor-mouthing and not gushing out something online about how somebody did this to me and I'm trying to serve God and things like that. No, he says, let you commit yourself, the keeping of your soul to Him in well-doing. Just keep on doing good. Just keep on being kind. Just keep on praying for your enemies, you see? And by the way, we don't have anybody with a knife that's about to kill us, thank God. We don't have a Caesar who is saying, burn incense to me or I'm going to put you to death. Praise God we don't have that. But there can be other ways. Now, this is big, big boy and big girl stuff. Listen up. Big boy and big girl Christian stuff. The word commit means to place alongside, to deposit as a trust. As I said, it's the same thing that Jesus cried to his Father and said, Father, into thy hands I commit or commend my spirit. Look at the deep anguish of spirit and physical torture that Jesus was undergoing. And I affirm to you today, Some of you are going to say you're going too far. I affirm to you today that we will not see revival until we have such commitment to the kingdom of God. I believe that with all my heart. We've been quiet too long. We've been scared too long, afraid we're going to mess up being politically correct. And I'm not talking about being ugly. I'm not talking about being mean-spirited. I'm talking about speaking the truth in love, which is what I try to do from week to week. You know, when I talk about issues that are out there today that are affecting us daily, affecting you in your den, affecting you off of your phone, when I talk about those things, it's not a spirit of hatred. It's a spirit of love for God's people to call them away from the things of the world because you don't belong here. Your citizenship is in heaven, you see. Until God's people commit themselves to the kingdom of God with such an attitude, I don't believe we'll see... We've seen great revival here, haven't we? And it's ongoing. Praise God. I'm talking about not just revival here, but revival elsewhere, revival across the land. It's happened before. It happened in the days of the Reformation. It happened in the days of the Great Awakening. You know how it happened? God's people went back to the Word of God. That's how it happens. Now, 
I want you to put this in perspective now. One of, the, one of the most devastating things that happened during COVID, one of the most devastating things to the people of God was not just the sickness and such that was going on. That's, that was bad, devastating. Lives lost, terrible. But from a spiritual standpoint, in general, I'm not just talking about here, but in general, one of the most devastating things that happened was isolation. God's people were never meant to be isolated from one another. Never. I'm telling you, that was Satan's design, Satan's manipulation to get God's people to isolate themselves. Be afraid of one another. So-and-so may be sick. So-and-so may have this. Let me just go on record in making this statement to you. And you don't have to agree with me. And I'm not talking about being reckless. I'm not talking about, oh my goodness, I wake up, I got a 105 degree temperature. I'm going to go on into church. I'm not talking about that. That's, that's foolish. I got 105 and I'm sneezing my head off and I'm going to see how many people I can sneeze on. <laughs> that's reckless. But if I go to a church meeting or I go to fellowship with God's people and a silent destroyer is there like some sickness and I get it and I die, I have no regrets whatsoever. None. Because it's more important to me to fellowship with the saints of God than it is to isolate myself because of fear. We have to have that attitude. We have to have that type of devotion. It does not mean be reckless or go around licking rails, as I've said. <laughs> it means that you are, are consciously, commonsensically doing the things that you do, going about the things that you go. But let me tell you this, my life is not that dear to me. You hear me? My life is dear to the Lord, but here in this world, my life is just not that dear to me. There's too many of God's people to minister to. There's too many of God's people to spend time with. There's too many people to fellowship with. God intended for us to do that. You see, my life is not dear to me. You know why I have that attitude? It's because I know it's dear to the Lord. <laughs> so if, I, if my life is ended here, He's going to bring my dear life up there with Him. Now, maybe you need to be introduced to these companions as we close here this morning. Y'all know one of my favorite books of all time is Hind's Feet in High Places. And I don't have time to go through the whole story, but it's an allegory, much like Pilgrim's Progress. And you know, it's the journey of a little woman, little girl named Much Afraid to the high places where she experienced great things with the king, with the shepherd, the great shepherd, who was Christ, of course, written by Hannah Hunard. So as she goes on that journey, and it's, it's fascinating, it's fascinating, the allegories that are there. So as she goes on that journey, she has two companions with her. And these companions are called sorrow and suffering. You know, here's this little scared little girl or young teenage girl, and she's fixing to go to the high places in the mountains, and, and the great shepherd says, okay, I've got two companions that are going to go with you. And you'd be thinking, oh, you know, I want, I want strength and courage to go with me. And here comes these two hooded figures, dark figures, hooded figures, tall, dark figures. And he says, here's your companions, sorrow and suffering. And they are with her through that whole journey. They never say a word. They never speak. And when she gets to the high places and she's transformed into something different because of her trust in the Lord, it says that she encounters those companions again. And this is what it says. This was sorrow and suffering. The two companions, the two cloaked figures that traveled with her through all of her journeys. And it says this, and I'll read to you. Two radiant shining figures stepped forward because she had asked, where, where is sorrow and suffering? Why are they not here with me at the top of the mountain now? Two radiant shining figures stepped forward, the morning sunshine glittering on their snowy garments, making them dazzling to look at. They were taller and stronger, 
But it was the beauty of their faces and the love shining in their eyes which caught at her heart and made her almost tremble with joy and admiration. They came toward her, their faces shining with mirth and gladness, but they said not a word. And she said, who are you? And instead of answering, they just reached out their hand to take hers as they had done at the bottom of the mountain. And she realized this, these two amazing looking figures are sorrow and suffering. Now transformed. She says, why? You were sorrow and suffering. Oh, welcome, welcome. I was longing to find you again. And they said, oh no, oh no. They laughed. We are no more sorrow and suffering than you are what you were when you started out at the bottom of the mountain. She said, don't you know that everything that comes to the high places is transformed? The transforming power of suffering for serving the Lord. She said, since you brought us here with you, we are turned into joy and peace. I promise you, you're going to go through this life and you're going to have sorrow and you're going to have suffering. And if you will look at it from the perspective of the Word of God and the experience of the saints of God and the experience of Jesus Christ, you will see that that sorrow and that suffering, it can be two of your best friends. And you'll see them as joy and peace instead of, oh, sorrow and suffering. In the closing words of the book, she says this. One of the things she learned. Every circumstance in life, no matter how crooked and distorted and ugly it appears to be, if it is reacted to in love and forgiveness and obedience to the will of the shepherd, then it can be transformed. That means to sanctify to you your deepest distress, whatever it may be. Maybe you need to look at those companions, sorrow and suffering, in just a little different way. The old mother church is going to find its true nature in this world when she does that. You're going to find the true experience of the child of God. Sorrow and suffering turned into joy and peace. A few more minutes here. Look with me to the book of 2 Timothy. As we leave you with these thoughts from... By the way, the, the final thoughts, it appears, from the Apostle Paul. Now, you're going to be very familiar with these verses, but the ones that I read after, you're not going to be very familiar with. We're going back to Paul, and I bet you never noticed how this follows a very popular verse. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is probably the last letter that he wrote. He's an old man now. He's been through stoning. He's been through imprisonments. You can read what he went through in the book of Corinthians. It tells you. He names out all the stuff that he went through. And I think as a preacher, I'm just not qualified when I stand, when I look at the list that Paul went through, because I've been through nothing like that. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. And he begins to tell Timothy some final things. Look at verse 6. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Very familiar, huh? I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love is appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Now this letter was written by Paul, most likely from Rome, as a prisoner. The second time, around the second time that he comes before an emperor named Nero. Anybody remember Nero? The insane emperor who burned Christians, doused them alive in oil, and hung them up on crosses in his garden and burned them to light his way as he would walk through the gardens at night. Evil. Evil. Now watch this. You're very familiar with those verses, but look at, look at what Paul says. For Demas, 
hath forsaken me. You, you see it in verse 10? Paul said, I'm, it sounds like he's on a high, doesn't it? I'm telling you, he's not on a high. He's under the inspiration of the Spirit. But this is the lowest point of Paul's life, I believe. His own brothers in the, in the ministry had forsaken him. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Watch. He's departed to Thessalonica. Crescens went to Galatia. Titus went to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. He says, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. I had to send somebody to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas. He even forgot his cloak. <laughs> the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring it with, with thee. And the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. I believe this is the same Alexander that Paul rebuked in 1 Timothy, where he said, Alexander and Hymenaeus, they have forsaken the faith. I've turned them over to Satan. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou where also? Paul says, you better watch out for this guy because he does not mean you any good. For he hath greatly withstood our words. Watch it. You say, oh boy, this is bad. Paul says, these guys have left me. I'm alone. I don't have my coat. It's almost winter time. <laughs> he wasn't like us now. We got five coats hanging in the closet. A cloak was something that was very valuable. He says, bring my coat. Watch out for Alexander. Watch verse 15. Of whom be thou where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me. It's a bad situation Paul's describing, isn't it? But all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. You see where Paul is? He's down in the dumps. He's down in the gutter. He's down at near the end of his life and he's under arrest and about to go before an insane emperor and he's naming off these things. Look what this happened. Look, at, It almost sounds like a pity party. Woe is me. But I'm going to tell you, the Apostle Paul, this is as close as he ever comes to having a pity party because he brings it back right here and he says, notwithstanding, when nobody stood with me, when nobody answered with me, when nobody would come to my aid, when nobody would bail me out of jail, when nobody would speak up and say, yeah, he's my friend. He says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. <laughs> he didn't go into the circus and get put to death yet. <laughs> That's coming. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom. And to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth. But Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. You see, even one of his best friends was sick to death over here in Miletum. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Y'all get the tone of this old man He's down. He's near the end of his life. He's run his course. And you say, well, he's going out with a bang. <laughs> well, in a sense, from a spiritual standpoint, you could say that because he's about to be put to death by the crazy, insane emperor Nero. But from a physical standpoint, you look at that and say, oh, all that he did is just come to this. And, you know, too bad. <laughs> Paul says it's wintertime. Do your diligence to come to me. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe shall not thee overflow. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. Aren't you glad that we don't have to face the things that the Apostle Paul and the others face? 
the ones who died through the years and serving the Lord. But let me tell you, let me give you the guarantee of the church of God. Before the Lord comes back, we will face those things again. And the devil's on the move. Now, there may be some of you older ones here that say, I'm just not geared for this. Well, maybe your children will be. Because it's going to come to some generation. It may come to this one. It may come to the next one. And instead of saying, oh no, I'm afraid. Let's look at, at suffering and sorrow as joy and peace. Maybe you need to become more acquainted with your companions as you travel along. They're not dark, cloaked, hooded figures. If you're looking to the Lord, they're joy and peace. I hope and pray that you understand a little bit about the transforming power of suffering for serving the Lord. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in the old mother church and experience grace and glory, experience joy and peace, we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.